don't know about you, but when you see success sometimes, it looks so graceful and so easy and as if it was uh, done almost effortlessly. When you see Tiger Woods swing a golf club, you look at him swinging the golf club and you think, man, I think I could do that. And you go out and you grab a golf club and it doesn't look anything like that. The, the beginning and the end, end product. If you, if you watch Albert Pujols swing a baseball bat when he was in a Cardinal uniform, I must say, he looked very good when he did that. And when he would swing, it just he could, he could hit a ball out of the strike zone with matter. Uh, just great, great skill. And whenever mom's cooking in the kitchen and, 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 it, and the smells and the aroma and the, and the flavors that come out of the food. And you ask her how she did that, well, a pinch of this and a dab of that. And all of a sudden there's this beautiful meal that, that, that is set before you. And you go try to emulate that and it doesn't exactly taste the same. Success looks so easy for some. Whenever this past Sunday, if you watched the Super Bowl, when Manning hit Manningham on the sideline, and it was a perfect pass, just over the shoulder, two defenders, and he catches it, made it look so easy. Like they do it all the time as if, it's, as if success is simple, success is easy. The thing is, is that success looks easy, but it comes with its critics. Uh, even though success is there, and it, whether it's in the kitchen or it's on the ball field or or it's on the golf course, or it's in business, or it's in some idea that's been germinating and, and pray, prayed over and, and really labored in. It, it comes with its, its levels of critics. Take, for example, you, no matter how good you do something, there will be people who will still criticize you for it. There will be people who will second-guess you and second-guess your motives. Some would say that a Major League Baseball player who strikes out 1,330 times is probably not a very good baseball player. But yet that same baseball player, Babe Ruth, can hit 714 home runs and be the leader uh, in home runs. Again, success still comes with its critiques. A a retailer who might launch a business and, and fail seven different times in a business and try one last time to launch a business just off of Times Square and Macy's opens up, R.H. Macy opens up uh, his, his, his store, and it succeeds to this day. And uh, you think about success, it looks easy. But you don't see the failure, you don't see the critiques that come from behind it. Whenever you think about someone who has failed twice in business and defeated six times is running for state uh, and national politics, political offices, you think that guy's a failure and should hang up the the idea of running for political office, but yet without Abraham Lincoln, where would we be as a nation today as he led us? Again, out of failures, out of defeat, and living in history, living in the present, thinking back on history, we, it's easy to look back and say, oh, well, look at Macy's, look at, look at Lincoln, and look at all that they did. And, but really, you've got to understand that they had so many critics before them, had so many failures before them, so many attempts. And, and, and even whenever... Probably the most notable Gettys, the most notable speech that, that Lincoln ever gave was his Gettysburg Address. And as he gave this address to the people, it was, it was criticized in the Chicago Tribune as silly, flat, and dishwatery utterance. Given on November 19, 1863, it was this time where he's dedicating the this, this Civil War uh, cemetery in honor of those who've given their life. And this short speech today that even my son and in the sixth grade, is memorizing this speech. So today, we're still studying it. But yet, again, editors and writers of that day called it a piece of trash, uh, silly dishwatery utterance. 
It said this. He said, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the position that all men are created equal. You think about that statement. I mean, this is a man who had, he could have easily lived in the status quo. Could have easily lived in the White House and just kept business as usual. I mean, finally, after all of these failures, could have said, you know what? I'm just not going to rock the boat. But yet he saw something that could be done. He saw something that should be done. And he said, I need to be a part of that. This is an injustice in the land. And, and, and I believe that our nation was founded on equality of all people. Where would we be today without an Abraham Lincoln standing up and, sta- and stepping out and, and being willing to, to, to lead a country even into war if need be? But this was a person who had vision. Vision for what could be, a vision for what should be. Now, you all understand this. Visions can easily come, but they can just as easily go. God may, and I hope that He is stirring inside of all of us over the course of this study, something that could, something that should, something that you can be a part of, something that you could start, something that you could join a team along beside, something that you might do for your family, some charge that you might initiate, or just, again, join in and be a part of. And you get the idea of this could happen and this should happen, but where do you go from here? Where do you go with it? And all it takes sometimes... In those early days, in those vulnerable moments of having that vision morphing inside of us, manifest, growing, becoming, incubating inside of our hearts, that all of a sudden, all it takes is one, two, three people to come up and poke a hole in it. To come up and criticize us as a person. To criticize our abilities, our skills, our, our wherewithal to be able... And all of a sudden, that dream, that vision, that what should and could be, all of a sudden just fades away. And the thing is, is that sometimes it's not the voices of the present. Listen to this. Sometimes it's the voices of the past. All of a sudden, we start thinking of, I can't do this because somebody said I couldn't do it. Because I had a coach, I had a teacher, I, I had a parent who didn't believe in me. Who second-guessed me. And all of a sudden, it's not a voice of the present, it's a voice of the past. That begins to tear down a potential life-changing move that God may be wanting to do in you. We're going to be looking at, over the next three weeks, over the next three chapters even, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah and some vision killers that are very much a part of, of his world. Because... I'll tell you this, if, if, if God births a vision inside of you of what could and should happen, and He begins to move you in that direction, you will most likely be swimming upstream. You will most likely be cutting against the grain. Because if it could have been and it should have been, it would have been a long time ago. But you have recognized something and God has shown you something that should and could happen in your children, in your family, in your marriage, in your business, in your nonprofit, whatever, fill in the blank. He showed you something, and, and now you may be the catalyst for change. He's going to deal with issues from without. We're going to look at that today in chapter 4. So we'll be finding chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we'll be today. He'll be dealing with issues from without, but next week we'll be looking at issues from within. That literally, that there are issues that are from within 
that can tear down and tear apart and destroy what God may want to do. But not only within his own camp will we deal with next week, but the next week we'll deal with things within himself. Within himself that can destroy the work of God. But tonight, today we're going to focus on that that's without. Those on the, on, on the periphery, those on the, on the outside that could literally be trying to tear us down. And they call it the critic's corner, if you will. What do you do? And seriously, don't give me the Bible answer. Don't give me the Sunday school answer. Don't give me the answer that should be answered. But what do you do? How do you respond? How do you respond emotionally? How do you respond literally in your, in your volition, in, in your actions? How do you respond when somebody criticizes an idea? Do you put it on the shelf? Do you criticize back? Do you try to one-up? Do you, do, you, do you fight forward and, and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this anyway? What do you do when the critics are in your life speaking into your life? They can understand that there are two kinds of critics out there. Not all critics are the same. There are two kinds of critics that are out there. One is the, the constructive critics. Now, these are the ones that we share a kindred spirit with. All right? This could be somebody that dearly loves you, dearly loves what you're about, Dearly loves some, the passion inside of you. Wants to see your dreams a reality. But they at the same time are not yes men or women in your life. In fact, I will say this, that every one of us need some people in our life that will challenge us. That even though we have an idea and here's this embryonic idea and it's in the very formation stages and it's time now to share it and cast that vision. And as we share that idea... We need people in our life that will challenge us, all right? These are constructive critics. They are actually not looking out for their own interest. They're looking out for you. They're they're wanting the best for you. Now, I'll, I'll say this. We all have them. None of us want them, but we all need them. We need critics in our life that will that will hold us, hold our feet to the fire, call us out when there's some duplicity. Maybe even light a fire in us if that need be. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen I think says it well. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Who's sharpening you? Now, there's one thing about this person. Constructive critics, they're not there to shape your vision. They're not there to do that. They're there to shape your plans. All right, you may have this great big vision to solve this great big global issue. Or maybe it's just a local issue. Or maybe it's a marital issue. And, and you've got this, this big passion, but maybe you're approaching it from the wrong angle. Maybe you're coming at it with the wrong attitude. You need a constructive critic in your life. I need a constructive critics in my life that will challenge me down deep, not, not about the vision that God has given me, but maybe about the plans and how I'm implementing that vision. Who in your life right now is a constructive critic? On the job, in the home, in the friendship. Friendships, I think, are probably the better. Because the ones who are on the job, sometimes they get a little bit polluted with uh, their own self-agendas. So you got to kind of be mindful of that. Marriages, that can be kind of a, an awkward situation as well. I'm not discounting the marriage. But when you have a friend who's not legally bound to you in a covenant relationship of marriage, and they're still hanging out with you, 
and they're still speaking truth into you, they've got absolutely nothing to gain. Listen to those. Listen, lean in, ask questions. Get around people who will challenge you. But that's not who Nehemiah was dealing with. He was dealing with the cranky critics. Now, the cranky critics, you don't have to go out looking for them. They will look for you. And they're not focused on your gain. They're focused on their gain. They don't like what you're about. They want to stop what you're doing. And they will do everything they can. They will do everything they can to destroy you, your vision. They don't have any, there is no Geneva Convention of War rules out there. There is, everything is gain. Everything is fair in this war. And you have Nehemiah, and I introduced them early on in, in, in our study, but you have in Nehemiah these two fellows that we see again and again and again, Sanballat and Tobiah. And so if you have chapter 4, let's look, begin reading in chapter one, chapter, verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Now when Sanballat heard that, that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. Now you can see right there that there's not a, 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 a love-hate relationship. There's just a hate relationship. We don't know exactly why Sanballat didn't like him. We don't know exactly what's going on here. But there is a deep animosity between Sanballat uh, and the Hebrew people. Verse 2. And he said, in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria... He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Now what he does is he launches into about five different insulting type questions. Now notice this about critics in your life. I'm talking about the cranky critics, all right? The rest of this message will be not about the constructive critics that are looking out for your benefit and the benefit of your vision, but the cranky critics who will literally destroy and undermine you. Many times the critics that you will deal with will not make clear insertion statements about you or your work. They'll just ask questions. They'll just start poking holes with questions. Not constructive questions. Questions that tear down. Questions that do not do well for the person or the vision. So he says this, what are these feeble Jews doing? First question. Will they restore for themselves? Will they restore it for themselves? Question number two. Will they sacrifice? Question number three. Are these people even going to be able to worship in this place again? Again, insulting their worship now. Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones and the heaps and the rubbish that burned the burned ones at that? He's questioning the quality of their work. He's questioning their God. He's questioning their 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 feebleness their ability to do the work. He's, he's every way insulting them. Now notice this, verse 3, Tobiah, the Ammonite. So there's Sumerians and there's Ammonites. And they're coming together and they're insulting them together. And Tobiah, and if you have your Bibles, you might underscore this, was beside him. I want to come back and speak to that in a moment. And he said to them, what, what, uh, yes, what they are building, if, if, uh, if a fox goes up on it, they will break down uh, the, their stone wall. So he, even a little critter crawls across that shabby, no good, lousy work that they're doing. It will not even hold up a fox. Insult, insult, insult. 
never-ending. And I, I want you to notice this, because I pointed it out, that, that, that it says that Tobiah was beside him. Now, I like that statement in the sense that I can absolutely see it. See, critics attract critics. We've got two different people groups here. We got the Ammonites, uh, the, the, excuse me, uh, the Ammonites, and we have the, the Samarias. There's no reason for them to be in agreement. But one of the things about critic people, critical people, is they will attract other critical people. And critics get together, and they just add insult to injury. And they're insulting this wall, these walls that are being rebuilt. But you've got to realize, archaeologists have found these walls. These were nine-foot walls, all right? Nine-foot thick. These aren't shabby walls. These aren't just put up. But what they're doing is they're jeering, they're destroying, they're doing everything they can to beat them down emotionally. And if they can beat them down emotionally, maybe they can stop them physically. I want to ask you again. What do you do in your world, in your life, when you have an idea and you have a dream and you have a, a desire that God is birthing inside of you and you can't get off of dead center? You can't launch it. Is it because of the critics that are trying to beat you down and destroy you? Is it because people in your life are, are actually pulling at you? Are they ganging up on you? Are they rallying behind you? That's something to think about. How do you respond to these kind of critics? And I want to give you three responses that Nehemiah gave as, as he goes through this and he hears Tobiah and he hears Sanballat and he, he goes through them. And, and these are just the responses of, of Nehemiah in this passage of Scripture. Now, I'm going to give you the first one I'm, and then I'm going to just laugh with you in your, in your spirit, all right? Because the very first response is he prayed, all right? He prayed. Now, I'm laughing inside because that's not my first response. When somebody begins to criticize, tear down, destroy what I'm trying to build up and make and become, my idea is put, let's take off the gloves. Let's go at it. Hand to hand, face to face, words to words. I'm going to one-up you. All right? I'm gonna, we're going to go toe-to-toe on this one. But that's not what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah had all the backing, all the authority, he had everything from King Artaxerxes that he needed to do what he was doing. But what he does is he could have said, listen, I'm going to call for all the troops of Persia to come whack you in the head. He didn't. He didn't. What he did is he broke down and he began to pray. And I just want us to just kind of rest in that for a moment. Because, again, that's not Mike McDaniel's natural response. Mike McDaniel's is probably less godly than that. But listen to this. In verse 4, literally right after Tobias speaks and makes his insulting remarks, this is what Nehemiah says. Hear, O our God, we, we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and, 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 and give them up to the plunder, uh, to be plundered in, in, the, in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out. Uh, from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. This is what he begins to pray. Now, I, I, I love the honesty of Nehemiah here. Because when he prays, he doesn't say, oh, God bless Tobiah. Oh, God bless Sanballat. Just, the, they just, they're just, they're good people really down, down deep. No. <laughs> 
he unleashes on them. Let me read to you the version out of the message. Nehemiah prayed, oh, listen to us, dear God. We're so despised. Boomerang their ridicule on their heads. Have their enemies cart them off as war trophies to a land of no return. Don't forgive their iniquity. Don't wipe away their sin. They've insulted your builders. I like that. That's my kind of prayer. You know? God, zap them. God, don't put up with this. God, I can't stand them. I I mean, the honesty of Nehemiah and the humanity of Nehemiah is beautiful here. At the same time, the reality of the answer to his problem was not in fighting fist to fist, toe to toe. The answer to his problem was going to God Almighty. That was his first response to his critics. Now, now, probably when all of your little different buckets of prayer, praise, thanksgiving, confession, adoration, you don't have a bucket for this prayer, all right? I don't know where you're going to put this prayer, okay? Because this is not exactly your normal everyday prayer, yet it's found throughout the Bible. I want to give you a new word. This is called an imprecatory prayer, all right? An imprecatory prayer. This is where he's literally praying, God, deal justly with them. God, what they're doing is wrong. Now, again, I want to say this is not something that's just unique and Nehemiah is having some emotional outburst here, though I believe it's very emotional. What he's doing is he's taking it to God. This is something that the psalmist does. There are 13 different imprecatory prayers in the Bible alone. Psalms, it has many of them. Four of them, uh, excuse me, 13 in Psalms alone. Uh, Jeremiah prayed in precatory prayers four different times. This is where you just get real honest. Jesus even said this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, I, I just want to hang out there on that verse for just a moment. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, how was Nehemiah manifesting that? Because, again, this is the third prayer in the book of Nehemiah that we find. And we find him praying this imprecatory prayer on the people, on Sanballat and Tobiah and, and all their comrades. What's, what's going on here is we've got to understand something. We've got to get prayer out of the high chambers of the holy cathedrals. And we've got to get prayer coming out of our heart. And, and see, there's one thing about prayer is prayer ought to be real. Prayer prayer should come from deep inside of us. As if I'm having a conversation with my spouse. I ought to be talking to God in this intimate kind of relationship. And what Nehemiah is able to do in this kind of prayer, and praying for his critics, listen to this, he's able to channel his emotions to God. He channels his emotions to God. God, these people are saying this, boomerang it onto them. Get them. Now think about your world. Think about your life. What do you do whenever you face the critics? Well, if you're like some people, you react. You come back at them. You try to one-up them. You go toe-to-toe with them. You try to get even. Is that really the best way? Is to react? Some people, when they have their emotions, that's how they do it. They just kind of, They just kind of... Bolt out in some kind of anger. Some people hold their emotions. They can them up, box them up, pack them away. Now they come back out 
they seep out in this kind of putrid bitterness that hangs around in relationships, that hangs around on the job, that hangs around in conversations, that hangs around the way they see life. There's this bitterness, this putrid bitterness that just kind of seeps out. You can, you can react, you can stow it up, or you can respond. What about offloading it onto God? He's got big shoulders. He can handle it. Tell, him, tell God how you feel. Unleash it onto Him. It's not disrespectful. In fact, He tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. When you have that critic in your life, when you have that person who's tearing you down, the, the best thing you can do is pray for them. And not some cathedral kind of prayer, but something from the heart. Where you take it to God and you say, God, this isn't right, this isn't just, this is, this is wrong. Something's got to be done. And God, I need you. I'm bringing my burden to you. I need you to give me rest. Number two, call on God for vengeance. Let God do the dirty work. Alright? He tells us in Romans chapter 12, 19, do not, take, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Maybe the best response you can give is a prayerful, reflective, confident in God response. Think about it. Do you react? Do you stow it up? Do you, do you respond? In a prayerful way. I had a deacon in one of my churches early on that, that we, we were part of this church and it, for 10 years, part of my uh, work there is I did a 10 year growth study on the church. And the church had been flatlined. In fact, it had grown negative 0.3%. It had not grown at all in a community that had grown. And there was, once you became a deacon of this church, you were a lifetime deacon. Once you became the chairman, you were a lifetime chairman. And this, this chairman of the deacons was a former deputy sheriff in the town, or in the county, and, and he pretty much ruled the church with an iron fist. And I mean, he didn't even come to church uh, any other time except for Sunday morning, and he would be there if it wasn't duck hunting season or something like that. And uh, it, was a, it was a real odd thing. He would never miss a business meeting. He would never miss a deacon's meeting because that's where the decisions were made, and he would not miss it. Every now and then, he'd come to, as, he, as he would come to church, of course, he would have to smoke his cigarettes out with all the other deacons on the front porch before they came in. And so as, as, they, as they came into church, all of a sudden, he, he started to know the church that had not grown for 10 years was now full and overflowing. And we were bringing in chairs and... People were standing in the back, and he was losing his spot, his seat. And it was a different game in town. It was a different thing in town. There was all of a sudden. Now we come to a deacon's meeting, and he's like, "What are we going to do with all these people? What are we going to do with them? Like as if get out of here, kind of attitude." It was not a good thing. The great thing is, is that it was him and about two other guys. But the rest of the deacons saw this as an absolute revival happening in the church. So it was not a battle that I really had to fight. 
But I can remember one deacon's meeting whenever he pointed his finger across the room at me and he said, Mike, I want to fight you in the parking lot. This is the deacon in the church. I want to fight you in the parking lot. I thought I, I could probably handle him. Uh, and I really thought I, I could. And, uh, and I, But we didn't. Uh, but I did pray a lot. And I wanted to. Uh, but my prayer was this, and I can still remember it. God, move him or move me. Move him or move me. Move his heart, change his life, or move him from the church. Or move me. And God did move him. Moved him to another church. And the great thing is our church kept growing. It didn't stop. That's a, that's a tough situation to be in because I tell you what, when you're in this world and there's differing opinions, differing ideas, listen, you're going to have to realize there are critics that are out to make you stronger. There are critics out to tear you down. Who are you listening to in your life? And the thing is, if you look at verse 8, it says that they plotted, they all plotted together to come against and to fight Jerusalem, to cause confusion in it. They plotted. But what did Nehemiah do? He prayed. Our God set a guard as a protection against them day and night. When people are plotting, are you praying? When people are plotting, are you praying? There's a 3 by 5 card in your seat pocket in front of you. For some of you, you need to vocalize a prayer. And if you want to, this is your time. In this service, you can do it and continue right on with it. But you need to vocalize a prayer to God. You need to vent your emotions. You need to express your thoughts. You need to put it out there. And this is your Avenue. You think, Mike, why, why, I don't need to write it out. No, you don't have to write it out. But I have learned this, that thoughts disentangle themselves when they move from your lips to your fingertips. And taking the time to write it out can maybe help you express it in a deeper, heartfelt way. Start writing if you need to. Start praying if you need to. But let's move forward. Number two, what do you do with the critics in your life? You persevere. You gotta keep. You gotta keep going. Don't stop. Perseverance is absolutely gotta be there, a part of it. J. Oswald Sanders says it like this: No leader is exempt from criticism, and his humility will nowhere be seen more clearly than in the manner in which he accepts and reacts to it. A leader must persevere. He must do it with humility and grace. Shakespeare called ridicule the paper bullets of the brain. What do you do with the ridicule? What do you do with it out there when it comes at you? It's it's amazing in the in the church world. I've given you one church example. Let me give you another church example. When we started Grace Point, when we announced that we were starting Grace Point, we told our prayer partners. As I just shared with you last week. You would have thought that all of our prayer partners. You would have thought that all the churches. You would have thought that everybody. Oh, great! How exciting! Come on back. Welcome. Welcome to Northwest Arkansas. You would have thought that. I would have thought that. But it was interesting, the responses that we got. When we started and we came back, I had a friend of mine. If I'm lying, I'm dying, all right? I had a friend of mine virtually and in every way denounce me as his friend because I was coming back. And I won't go into the details because this friend still lives or this friend still lives in the area. 
But I had some some high school friends that I went to school with, was in the youth group with, hung out together. A couple that ended up marrying high school sweethearts. Married. I ran into them at Walmart not long after coming back. I went up to them. I called them by name. They just turned and went the other way. I thought, what happened? Well, they and my friend who denounced me were mad because we were starting another church. I had a pastor from northwest Arkansas call me while we were still in Africa and tell me in no uncertain words that what we were doing was not of God. That we were denying the call of God leaving Africa to come back and start Grace Point. Now, we weren't hardly on the ground. And we hardly had a, a Sunday school class group of people before we were getting... This level of criticism. Friends? Colleagues? What do you make of that? The only thing I can say, in the midst of the criticism of this world, get ready. If God begins to move in your life, you'll find the critics, or they'll find you. They will do what they can to destroy what God is trying to do. And I tell you what, they do it quite effectively. Because even in the people of Israel, you'll find in verse uh, verse 10 there, it says, In Judah it was said, so the people of Judah now are talking. Nehemiah has prayed, St. Valentine Tobiah has prayed, and now in verse 10, this is what they said. Listen to these words. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. Can you hear it in their voice? By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. They're getting demoralized. They're facing this fear. We could never finish this. We could never do this. We could never never go on. What are we going to do? And I just want to emphasize that the vision that God is calling you to will not be an easy process. You will many times want to hang up the idea. Many times you'll question, we cannot do this. What What were we thinking? This rubble is too great. This mess is too big. There's too many oppositions out there. You'll begin to listen to your critics. You will begin to listen to your critics. Not the healthy ones, not the constructive critics, the ones that are tearing down it, and you're going to sleep at night thinking about it. You're going to sleep at night wondering, well, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself in this great vision that God is birthing inside of you. You'll find yourself stopped, stalled, going nowhere. Going nowhere. I like what it said after the first insult, series of insults from Sambalat and Tobiah in verse 6. At the end of that, that, that prayer of Nehemiah, what does it say in verse 6? So we built the wall. They didn't stop. So we built the wall. We're not stopping. And, what, and, and you skip on down to verse 15, and even after they wanted to quit, even after the rubble was too big, it says, when our enemies heard that it was that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, we all, where did they go? We all returned to the wall, each to his work. See, when you, when you face the critics, they're going to do everything they can to get you to stop. When you hear the critics, they're going to do everything they can to, to stop you. And you're going to have to decide, are you going to get up and build the wall? Are you going to keep going? Or are you going to stop? That same three-by-five card I want to ask you a question. Maybe it's on the back if you're still writing out a prayer. But but I want to ask you this question. 
Where are you stalled? Where have you stopped picking up the bricks? Write it out. Maybe you've lost the dream. Maybe you're like the people of Israel. You're overwhelmed. Maybe the work has become too great. Maybe you're fatigued. Maybe you're burnt out. Maybe, maybe you're alone. Where are you stalled? And voice that in a prayer to God. Say, God, I don't, I don't want to stop. The work is too great. It could happen and it should happen and you've called me to be a part of it. Don't stall. The last thing, the last thing you see Nehemiah doing, and I think it's beautiful, because he, he gets serious about this. This building this wall was a God-given vision and nobody was going to stop him. And I don't have time to read all the verses because the work does resume, but the work doesn't, the work doesn't stop. There had to be a level of protection. They had to protect it. First of all, Sanballat attacked him mentally in verse 1 to verse 3, and that didn't stop them. And so verse 7 to verse 8, he begins to attack them physically. He wanted to, he wanted to assault them. He wanted to go after them. And so Tobiah and them were actually going to fight. And I'll have time to read this, but you just jot it in your margins or go down in your Bibles and you can read in verse 23. He says, Neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor men or, uh, of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Literally what they began to do is that they began to build and they had in one hand their sword and their mortar in the other hand. They, 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 they were ready to fight or build whatever, whatever came their way. And what happens when, when Satan uses other people to become critics in your life to the vision that God has given you, you will have to fight for it. You will have to push forward. You will have to persevere in it. But you will also have to protect it. With a sword in your hand. The sword of the Word of God, I don't know. Not literally a gun. I'm not saying go get that. I'm not advocating killing. But I am advocating absolutely whatever it takes. Protect. Protect the calling that God has for your life. When we start at Grace Point, I've, I've seen churches divided. I've seen churches split. We put as our number two core value that every member who joins Grace Point signs a covenant commitment to that I will stand for the core beliefs and the unity of my church. We want to be a church united. Titus was the pastor of the first church in Crete. And this is what he said, or Paul uh, uh, says to Titus, he says, stay away from the mindless, pointless quarreling over genealogies, the fine uh, print of the law. This is out of the message. He says, they get you nowhere. Warn a quarrelsome person once or twice, but then be done with them. It is obvious that each uh, that, that such a person is out of line, rebellious against God, by present by persisting in the divisiveness, he cuts himself off. I want to say to you again, as God gives you a vision. If there's quarrelsome people in your life, warn them once. Uh, maybe twice. But don't have anything to do with them after that. If they're literally tearing down the vision of God and the work of God, you might have to walk away from a friendship. You might have to, to save and protect 
The vi- you're going to have to guard it. To guard the vision that God has given you. What is that going to mean for you? Because Satan is going to work. Admiral Mahon, American Navy, in the War of Independence, said to his soldiers, Gentlemen, whenever you set out to accomplish anything, make up your mind at the outset about your ultimate objective. Once you've decided on it, take care never to lose sight of it. Take care never to lose sight of it. What is God calling you to? And has the critics become louder in your head than the voice of God? Statement I've said around here, and you've probably heard me say it, you make a decision, you make it work. If God's called you to something, you step up and you do it. No excuses. It may not work the way you want it. It may not happen the way you... It may not come together the way you... Just do it. If God is calling you to it, don't let hell stop you. Don't let the critics' corner stop you either. That three-by-five card, that's your card. But I also want to invite you today, as we have a time of prayer and response, I want you to invite you to just come to these steps. Because if some of y'all are dealing with critics that are too overwhelming for you, maybe the first thing you need to do is just come bring that card and lay it at these steps, lay it down there, and pray over it and say, God, this critic is in my life, and he is absolutely, she is absolutely, they are absolutely destroying the vision of God that you put inside of me. Or do a work. And just lay it there and pray there. You want somebody to pray with you? There'll be some folks around. Eric will be around. There'll be some deacons around. Pastor, you want somebody to pray with you? They'll be just hanging out here at the front. This is your time. I don't want the vision of God to die inside of you. Don't let it die inside of you. Father God, right now, you know what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. You know, the work of tomorrow will be done by the people of today. And Lord, maybe the very first place we need to turn is on our knees to you and ask God, give me strength because I am weary. Give me help because I feel hopeless. Lord, help us to seek you now in a very real way. I pray in Jesus' name.